0: Welcome to Wealth Science. I'm your host, Jesse Fuchsia, Army Ranger, real estate investor, and income enthusiast. On this show, we uncover the keys to attaining financial freedom. There are so many people listening right now who are stuck in that day-to-day, nine-to-five rat race. Luckily, it's only temporary. Each week, we bring on guests that help us discover the steps to build financial freedom, passive income, and generational wealth, so we can live the life we were born to live. Money is freedom. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to another episode of Wealth Science. I'm your host, Jesse Fuchsia, and today's guest is Michael Bell. Michael is closing in on 17 years as the Chief Petty Officer in the U.S. Navy. He's an active investor in the lucrative niche of parking lots and also indoor and outdoor storage. He's a board member of the VIP Veterans and Parking Association. He was also just selected as a top member in the National Parking Association's 40 under 40 club. Wealth Science, I bring you Michael Bell. Michael, what's up, bro?
1: Man, uh, Jesse, man. Hey, thanks a lot, man. I'm happy to be here first and foremost. And um, Hey, man, I got to tell you, you you got that voice. And when you read stuff like my bio, I'm like, man, that sounds pretty cool. It's your voice, man. You, you hype everything up. So I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, dude. Well, I, man, I, yeah, bro. No, I'm pumped to have you on. And especially when talking about something like super unique. Like, I mean, I, I love talking about, you know, anything, real estate, crypto stocks and stuff like that. But when I look at like, you know, indoor, outdoor storage, like truck, trucking storage, um, parking lots, it's like, what are you talking about, dude? Like who out there is trying to buy a parking lot right now? So that's why I love having guys like you on. And it's like, Hey, there are guys out there crushing it in these niches that not everybody's thinking about. So that's why today's, I think today is going to be such great value, bro. So, I mean, Mike, for the people who don't know who you are, dude, if you just want to take a few minutes and introduce yourself.
1: Yeah. Hey, you know, I appreciate that. You know, I'm not crushing it yet, but I'm definitely moving towards the the level of crushing this. So we'll get there. But, um, Hey, yeah, I've been in the Navy, like you said, close to 17 years. I joined back in 2005. I'm originally from Columbia, South Carolina. Um, You know, didn't really have a lot of options coming out of high school, and I decided to hop into the military, and I'm glad I did, man. It really gave me, exposed me to the world, gave me a different perspective um, from growing up in South Carolina, and um, I got to do a lot of cool stuff. I'm still doing a lot of cool stuff, and I'm able to be a, a leader now and lead sellers and See kids who were my age at 19 years old coming in and try to help them guide them. So that's really a rewarding part of my life. Um, Yeah, man. So, flash, uh, go back about a couple of years. Um, You know, I've I've deployed several times. I've been going from home a lot, man. And uh, ended up, you know, meeting my wife and you know, we had a couple children, and you know, it's one of those things where I started to, it started to weigh on me being away from home so much and not being able to spend time with my family. Cause I, if you, if you follow me on social media, you see it's all about the fam. And I love my family life, man. This is, this is everything to me, right? So I started looking at, you know, doing research and looking at different ways like, what, what am I going to do when I get out of the military? How am I going to spend more time with my family? And I came across real estate investing, and of course, a red rich dad, poor dad. And I was like, whoa, what's going on with that, right? That's a big, that's a big mindset shift. So, you know um i started looking at different ways to invest and trying to put myself out there and it, it, you know i had a few starts and stops over a few over the last few years with um military deployments and whatnot um and then flash forward to the uh the pandemic in 2020 and i joined a, i ended up joining a real estate mastermind called the war room mastermind where it's it's a real estate collective of military members active and veterans who um they're all they're just getting after in real estate and business and uh just being around those guys motivated me to put myself out there and try really get out there and try real estate Be a, a true college stride right so i um started virtual wholesaling um from i'm here in san diego and i was like well let me just start trying to virtual wholesale in the state of north carolina that was just totally randomly i just wanted wanted to just go and get going in the direction um didn't really work out as well as i liked it to um you know i was able to find leads find deals i was doing cold calling uh text blasting uh, trying to buy single family homes from um, from sellers, uh, getting yelled at, cursed out, threatened, all that good stuff, fun stuff. But um, uh, and I got maybe got a couple deals uh, stolen from me as well from some unscrupulous characters, but also met some really good folks as well in the, uh, in, the in the wholesaling space, uh, especially a guy named Greg Burney out there. He's an investor in Greensboro, North Carolina. So if anybody's in Greensboro area, you look up a guy named Greg Burney, solid cat, man. He's going to take care of you. Um, uh, so from there, you know, once I, uh, kind of, I was like, Hey, I did hold something for a few months. And I was like, not really my thing. I learned a lot. I learned how to find deals. And, I, you know, I got over the hump of talking to sellers and being scared of talking to sellers. So, you know, eventually I was like, I want to try something else, not really for me. So I'm going to shift. Didn't know what I was going to do. You know, I saw multifamily was really overheated and I, you know, I was like, ah, I don't know if I really want to do that just yet, but I do love multifamily. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to, you know, just do, keep doing some research and keep talking to people, right? Um, and then I came across a social media post um, from uh, someone whose podcast I listened to a lot you know, over the last few years while I was trying to learn. And he put out a call to action. He needed help finding uh, mobile home parks um, and also parking lots. And so, completely ignored the parking part of it. And I was like, well, I know how to find leads. I know how to generate a, a list and reach out directly to the sellers. So I'm just going to take the leap. I'm going to reach out and finally find what he needs and bring it to him and then, you know, get a finder's fee or something. So that's what I did. I, um, I, I generated a list. I text blast a whole bunch of mobile home park owners and I got a couple of hits back and for interested folks who were thinking about selling. So I, you know, I, I followed the directions on this guy's, uh, post on his website to a T sent the post out or sent the, sent the deals out. And, um, Come to find out, uh, two weeks go by, I hear nothing back from the investor. You know, so I'm like, man, what did I do wrong? You know, I uh, posted, I put it on his website and I got no call back, no email back. So you got a little discouraged, but I was like, hey, no worries. I'll just uh, hit him up on his Instagram. That's where he sent the post. So I, I sent him on Instagram, no response, you know, nothing. So I'm like, well, dang. All right. And I really got discouraged then. Like, man, what did I do wrong? Or is this guy really who he says he is? Things of that nature, Right um so another two weeks passed and we're a month into it i'm still kind of texting the owners and talking to them a little bit here and there just to keep them on you know keep them there at bay and uh you know i go to work one monday morning i'm kind of in a bad mood for different things happening i'm I'm like man and then my investment is not going anywhere as like i wanted to so you know and i thought about because i used to be a recruiter and there's something they teach you like you keep going you keep reaching out until you get a positive or negative response and i realized I never got a response at all. So, you know, for me, I'm like, okay, well, let me, what other medium can I find this guy? on? So I reached out to him on LinkedIn and 20 minutes later, I got a response. And I was like, oh, snap. He was like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't get that. They see it on my website. And also um, I checked my spam folder. I saw your message. So that's when I found out that if you send somebody you're not friends with on Facebook or Instagram, a message is going to go to the spam folder and you're not going to see it immediately. So I learned that lesson. I went and checked my spam folder because I thought the guy was still pulling my leg and Lo and behold, I had messages from people I didn't even know in my spam folder, so that was kind of cool. So, long story short, I know I like to ramble a lot, but long story short, um, he called on those deals, didn't didn't, wasn't able to buy any of them, but we got to talking about parking, Um, and he was telling me, yeah, we're we're big on the parking niche, where we're just getting into it. We've only brought one lot, and we'd like to grow that, but leads are coming in slow. So in my head, I'm like, well, since I got you on the phone, I might as well, let me, let me try to learn about parking and see what I can find for you. And that's what I ended up doing. So I built out a system to find parking lots and garages and network with, with owners. And and a year, a year later, we haven't brought a parking um, lot. He's brought a parking garage, but um, we haven't brought any, anything necessarily yet, but we've built a lot of, uh, a lot of leads and offered on a lot of parking assets. And uh, I've learned a lot underwriting commercial real estate. So I'm very happy with where, where we're at right now. I also, I'll pause there for questions. I know I like to jump all over the place.
0: Dude, no, I mean, this is awesome. And like I said, just that level of persistence that went into this, there's been so many times where even in my own life or career where it's been like, dude, I failed twice. And it's like, hey, let's give this one more shot. Like, what if And I know there are people out there who are on that brink of like, do I give it one more shot? Do I not do it one more shot? But dude, imagine if you had never reached out and gotten on a call with that guy, like, could it have spurred you down this path? So I just get motivated when I hear stuff like that. Because so many times that's happened to me, dude, where, man, I'm coming up with nothing, coming up with nothing. It's like, let me give this one more try. And I do it. And then I break through and it's like, dude, it's the best feeling in the world. So I'm glad you, you shared that in your intro. Um, so many people come on here and, and talk about the mentality of like freedom of time and, and freedom of, you know, spending more time with your family. I mean, when you look back to like that initial thought of like financial freedom and like kind of breaking away from your W-2, obviously you're still in your W-2 now, but you're coming to a close here within the next couple of years. Like, I guess, where was that initial idea of like financial freedom of like, Hey, I want to pursue, you know, to build passive income and, and to not just rely on my active income.
1: Yeah, no, I think that I came early on in life. You know, I didn't have a lot growing up and just kind of having that inequity of uh food and uh inequity of uh you know stable housing, I that always had a had a complex with, inside of me growing up. So as I even became you know, an adult and started, you know, paying my own bills, I didn't really have that financial educational or background or literacy, should I say. Um, starting out I had to learn that a lot along the way through bumps and bruises, right? And I didn't really really truly understand um finances until I met my wife about 10 years ago and she taught me everything I need to know because you know she's a big financial background. But um you know as I started to learn more about money, as I started to learn about more about you know how things really work in the world and how the you know how how finances travel and how it, how economies work and Things of that nature and, and looking at what I have in life and what I'm currently bringing in and the things I want out of life, I, you know, and seeing that you know a W two job is great. I love it and I love the military and I love how, you know the fact that I'm going to get a pension at the end of it. But I started to look towards the future, especially when I hit my thirties because I'm 36 right now. So when I about turned about 31, 32, or something like that, I started you know start started thinking about the future a little bit more. Right, started thinking about hey, you know how am i going to survive, you know, pay my bills, take care of my kids. I have a mother who's, you know, she's aging, she's almost 70 now. I have an older son who's special needs and, you know, what's his level of care going to be? And then I have a, a wife who, you know, she's independent and whatnot, but we, we want to maintain a certain lifestyle. And so starting to, those things start starting to kind of think about it. I'm like, well, how's this all going to work? You know, how am I going to really, really, you know, spend time with my family? And I don't want to work all the time for the rest of my life. Who wants to do that? You know, like I want to work and I want to do what I want to do. And I think that's what really kind of spurred me to to really look towards different wealth generating aspects. And, you know, I've looked at franchises. I've looked at different businesses. I'm I'm in love with business altogether. But that really motivated me to start start my quest or my search. And then, you know, eventually I, I had enough pain or enough headaches over over time that, that spurred me to action, you know, because everybody wants to do something, but what's really going to make you get up, get out and get it, you know? And I think um, in recent years and just really seeing and talking him conversations with my wife, just really seeing like, hey, this is something that, you know, we need to, if we were serious about this, we need to get started now. And that's what I decided to do.
0: Yeah, dude. I mean, that's so powerful. And so many people come on here and talk about, you know, who, who have awesome W2 jobs and who love what they do. And it's like, I just don't want to depend on going to work, you know, nine to five for the rest of my life. And I think that's so powerful when, when the why is bigger than just, you know, a bottom line in a bank account, it's like, no, dude, I want to provide the better lifestyle for my family. And I think it's so powerful. So I, I think that's awesome, dude. When, when kind of like bridging that knowledge gap of, like you said, you're at year 17, you're like, Hey, I found this real estate thing. I listened to this podcast. I started wholesaling. I guess, how did you bridge that initial knowledge gap? You know, was it podcasts? Was it books? Did mentors play a huge part in it? Um, you know, so many people come on here and they're like, Jesse, I don't know where to start, or I don't know how to kind of, you know, crush that first hurdle. I, how did you go about doing that?
1: Yeah. So, um, and, and this is, and so preferences, what I do in the Navy, I'm what they call a Navy counselor. Um, and uh, I'm more like a guidance counselor on steroids, right? I help people figure out their careers and next steps and really kind of motivate people to take that take that leap for say they're trying to go to that officer program or they're getting ready for retirement or say they want to go and start looking for a job because they're about to exit the service so the art of the start is um really what i've gotten good at motivating people on how to start or find it or just pick a place and just go you know and so um i think for me just when i look at real estate investing i kind of take the same approach of what i do in the military i just look at hey. Okay, let's get all the information you can. You're not going to have everything, you know, but try to get comfortable enough to and to be able to get started. Try to orientate yourself once you get in there and like, okay, I see how this is where I'm at. I see how it is. Where do I need to go next? And also the major thing is, like you said, mentors talk to people who are doing it already, who are doing what you want to do and really try to see if you can help them and provide value in any way, shape, form, or fashion. I know folks always say, oh yeah, I want to have a mentor. I want to, you know... I want to provide value. But what does that really mean? And that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So you have to just really talk to a lot of folks who are doing it, be able to um, realize that you're not going to be able to work with everyone or people just aren't going to be able to have you do anything for them sometimes because it's just that you just don't fit into their organization, and that's okay. But you need to if you talk to enough people, like truly talk to enough people, don't just say, yeah, I talk to some folks, but really get out there. Like I'm, I'm I'm big on making lists, right? I make a list of people to talk to, I make a list of phone calls to make, I make a list of all types of things and work the list. And if you start to really talk to people, you'll you'll come across somebody somewhere you can put some work in for or that's gonna give you the knowledge that you need to, to get to build your skill set, right? So um long story short, you just got to get in there and really, really work and talk to folks and and like figure out what you can do. And you may not be successful, but, but you might be successful. Just one of those things where you have to to keep reaching out. Yeah, absolutely. And And I I tell everybody, networking
0: is like the base of all success. And I I set the goal to talk to five new people a day. And you brought up a great point. Like, don't just talk to people, talk to people, like build genuine, authentic relationships, you know, taking it to the next level. But I mean, it's so powerful, dude. And then your point on mentorship, it's like, I think it was Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett's business partner. who was like, you know, plagiarism and copying is like the best form of business. Like find someone out there who's crushing it. And then do exactly what they're doing, and it's just so important. And mentors have played an important role in my life too. I mean, I've had gentlemen on this, you know, podcast who've been doing this for forty or fifty years. Who at the end of the show were like, "Jesse, I, you know, I don't want you paying ten thousand dollars, you know, for a mentor. Hey, man, here's my cell phone. Whenever you need anything, you know, give me a call, brother." And it was just because I added value by having them come on this show. I gave them a platform to speak to thousands and thousands of people, and they're like, Jesse, like, thank you for having me on. That was a great show. You know, let's let's get together next week, or or please the next deal you guys are looking at, you know, you and I can go over it together. I mean, that's so powerful. So the power of mentorship is is absolutely incredible. And and you're you're 100 percent right. Um, kind of segueing back to the parking lots piece. And I really want to get to this because I find this so so interesting and what you've been able to do here over the last few months. You know, you talked about you listened to it on a podcast that sparked the initial idea, you know, as you've been looking at parking lot deals over the last year, I guess, why, what is so unique about parking lots and why is this such an industry that people, you know, should not be overlooking right now?
1: It's funny, man, because I, I had no idea about parking lots until I came across that Instagram post and I was like, mm-hmm. you know, so um, as I started to delve more into the topic and, you know, that's, that's how I do business. Um, I, I I try to immerse myself in, into things and I, I talk to as many people as possible. I try to learn as much as I can. And um, what I started to find because my mentor—I call my mentor—he's my buddy now, my good friend of mine—but he gave me a direction to start. He said, "Well, you know, we were looking on these websites. They're gonna like Parkopedia. You know, you can find some lots there, some garages." I'm like, "Okay, cool." But I started figuring, trying to figure out different ways to find lots, right? And um, I started researching and learning about parking. That's how I found veterans in parking. I was researching um, how to find garages and lots, and I came across something. I saw the keyword "veteran." I'm an active duty military, and you know, I found that they're a nonprofit helping folks find jobs in the, in the parking industry, helping veterans find jobs in the parking industry. So, I uh, you know, I reached out to them and they have been teaching me about the parking industry and I've learned a lot there, but also um, being able to help with my background being in the military and being as someone who helps people find employment and who help people with career moves. I've been able to, you know, jump in and help them out as well. And that's, but, but that's also allowed me to learn. Um, I'm also networking with uh, different uh, technology companies in the parking industry, uh, different uh, operators and, you know, just coming from a place of, hey, you know, I'm just trying to learn about the industry. I, I have an equity source, which is my mentor who's looking to purchase and, you know, just teach me what you know. And I, I pick up different, you know, pieces of information along the way. So, um, yeah, I, just developing different uh ways to find deals uh one one way i've done and um we can circle back so stop me if you have any questions but um besides me painstakingly at 4 30 in the morning or 4 a.m in the morning before i go to work searching you know google maps for parking lots and going down in the street view to make sure there's a paid box there and then adding that to my list um i've uh, been able to network with operators and essentially how the parking how parking works right you have any lot or garage you see and you say you see Let's call it let's just platinum parking. You know what I'm saying? Say I was signed for platinum parking, right? And that's a random name I made up. Platinum parking does not own that lot nine times out of ten, ninety percent of the time, ninety-five percent of the time. It's owned by maybe a mom and pop or or corporate corporate structure or whatnot. They're just the operator or the or the property manager, um, for lack of a better term, if you want to talk apartments or whatnot. So they pay that owner a fee or they may pay them rents um via the uh, double net lease or net net lease um to to operate their business their or their their branch of platinum parking at that location. So with that being said, I reached out to as many operators as I could to find out who's willing to sell. And I thought I started thinking about it. I'm like, well how can I get these people? Cause I got told no a bunch of times. And I'm like, well, well, well how can I well how can I get these people to give me the lease because they have, you can't just make a list of parking lots to pay parking is you have to really go find them or people have to bring you the leads. I've tried, trust me. So how do I motivate people to bring me leads? Well, I make it worth their while, right? So I started thinking about, well, how can I make it worth a parking operators while? Well, I tell them, hey, look, if you bring me that business, if you bring me the leads, we're going to give you the business. You see what I'm saying? And now they're motivated. So Every parking is a very very not cutthroat business, very competitive, right so they're always competing, especially in cities and neighborhoods, to get those assets um, to manage those assets there are there's only a set amount of assets, and it's dwindling throughout you know th- every year because of developers and development and I can talk more about that later, but it's it's very competitive, so they are motivated and incentivized to go and get new business all right so they have a list of owners and I lots that need to, that they want to buy. So I say, hey, if you if you bring me your competitors' lots, you know, or give me information on ownership or, or call the owners and, you know, find out have they, they thought about selling, what you know, I'll give you that business. And it's as simple as that. And they've been bringing me leads very consistently that way as well. Another um, way I've done, I've been able to learn and generate is um, I look at startups. Uh, there's a couple of startups I'm working with. Who are disruptors in the space and they're essentially they're technology companies who are running parking management from the cloud so they're not they don't have like actual physical location or people on on staff they they have rowing patrols and they're controlling everything through um via cloud payments so i talked to them and they have every you know every motivation also to to bring leads to me as well and i, I, so I i'll give them all of my leads to startups I'm like hey can you make find these owners for me make the call see if they're willing to sell and I'll give you guys that business. But what that does is also, because i have in good faith giving them leads so I can help build their business, they've also brought me leads that I never gave them because they know that I'm gonna take care of them on the back end and bring that business to them. And my mentor has giving me a full lot of time to do those things because I've explained the business, I'm playing. my plan to them makes perfect sense and, they, and then the proofs in the pudding, we get leads consistently coming in to offer on because you know we, we, we make things work for folks a lot.
0: Yeah, I mean, Mike, that this is really cool. And I there's so much to unpack here. And I just wanna this is this is just super, super cool. So to get this straight, I just want to make sure I understand this right. When it comes to like the composition of a parking lot out there, and I'm you named it platinum parking lot, that parking lot is owned most likely 90 to 95 percent of the time by a mom and pop owner, and it's triple net leased out to an operator. And I and I assume, so please correct me if I'm wrong. The tr- the operator doesn't want to own the real estate because they're not in the real estate business. They're in the parking lot operating business. Is that correct, or
1: one hundred percent correct? So there are operators who own lots, but they're in the minority. Um, the majority of them, they just want to operate. That's their business, their core business. They don't want to have to do and, and a lot of times, they don't have the capital to to buy the lots, and it just doesn't make sense for their business model. So. In most cases, they're they're just operating or managing lots for other people. And there's different structures. So it can be a net lease, like you talked about, or net net lease, or it can be, you know, a revenue sharing uh, agreement. And a rev share, generally, I've seen 60, 40 splits towards the owner, or 70, 30 splits towards the owner. And um, what that does is, you know, the owner may be on hook for some of the expenses or, you know, the operator. And then also, lastly, they have revenue management, which is uh, like 10%. That the uh you know the owner gets 90, the uh the operator gets 10%, the owner pays most of the expenses out of there 90%. And that's almost like almost like a property management type deal that you see in apartments or, or whatnot, or, or you know, single family homes or whatnot. So um, those are the three common uh you know agreements that you'll see. I noticed that with garages, more than likely you're gonna see net leases because of those the type of high cash flowing assets they, they can be in most cases. And then mostly in garages, you'll see net leases if it's a high, um, if it's a high, not I'm sorry, in lots, you'll see net leases if it generates a lot of money. But also, um, if it's a lot that doesn't generate a lot of money, you'll see more of a a revenue share or revenue uh, management agreement. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And when I look at parking lots as a whole, I guess what's super intriguing, I love the idea of like assets. A, we're most likely your tenants aren't sleeping there. Probably some people might crash in a parking lot, but hopefully they're not. But B, you know, there's very little overhead. You're not laying like septic tanks. You're not laying water, utilities, um, stuff like that. And then when I look at like the supply and demand, and you already touched on this, and I I don't want to gloss over it because I think it's important. I would say probably the majority of parking lots out there are in what I'd refer to as like the pathway of development in, in major cities and stuff like that. So, Hey, those are going to get bought out and developed, but also you look at the de- the demand and the increase of, you know, cars that are on the road and, and what's boomed during COVID is more people are buying cars. I mean, it's, it's crazy right now. So you have an increasing demand with a decreasing supply. So I guess that's like just the overarching. I'm like, wow, this is super cool how you stumbled upon this and are, are now looking at this asset. Um, when, when it comes to like, if you could just maybe break down and I know you touched down on, a little bit like the uh, the income and the revenue and stuff like that and what the splits might look like between the owner and operator. Could you maybe just walk through one of the deals that you've underwritten this year. Like I'm curious how many spaces, what was the price point, you know, in that specific MSA and stuff like that. And it could just be just one you underwrote just to give like the audience an idea of like the price point and, and returns that you're looking at.
1: Okay, yeah, definitely, and I can um, I, I got one I'm working on right now. I can't give too many deals on it, uh, too many information because it's an open subject, but um, and I can talk. So that's a actually a very large deal, and that was a smaller deal that I was offered on. Um, that's pretty small. And I can talk about that, but if I could take a step back because you um, you jogged my memory on something I wanted to cover today, and that's talking about um, you know, with with parking, it's a shrinking supply, right? Which is going to make it more valuable because I. You know it's not easy to, to buy or find parking lots right now, or garages because you're competing with a lot of developers, right? And um, the reason why the parking supply is shrinking as much as it is, which, while in its purpose, you buy a parking lot, while the supply is shrinking, the value is going to go up, right? Which is what we want. Um, that's why I'm I'm hard at working trying to uh, take one down. But the major thing is um, there's a, a a professor of economics at UCLA named Dr. Donald Shoup, and um, He's, he's, like a, he's like a guy in the parking industry, because they love him, right? They, um, so I, I've done a lot of research on this. So essentially, he wrote a book called The High Cost of Free Parking, right? And how that, having free parking is, is 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 making housing prices or in-city centers rise. You know, and I'm like, well, that makes no sense. But as I started to read the book, and it's a 24-hour audio book, by the way, so it's so all about parking. It's, yeah. But um, as I started to read the book and they started to break it down, it actually made sense. So... Back in the 30s, 40s, 50s, when cities were starting to be, really become dense and grow, right? The uh, urban planners came up with these ideas of off-street parking requirements. So if we're going to build, so if they're going to have someone build a high-rise development, well, we need to have parking. Not even thinking about, not even looking at who drives and who doesn't. They just, yeah, hey, we need to have two parking spaces per unit, right? So what does that do? If you if a if a builder has to build has to make two parking spaces per unit, that takes away from the buildable space they have on a lot. So what does that do? You have to give two. Say instead of having a hundred unit um, building, you might only have be able to build sixty or whatever the case can be because you have to build parking for those particular buildings. What does that do for the current the existing units? That sixty units that raises the price of those units. All right. So that price is going to be transferred down to, to the consumer, right? So it's gonna make housing costs or rent go even higher. So Dr. Shoup's, uh take on that is do away with these off-street parking requirements because they make no sense to begin with. And he goes through the science of how they came up with calculations, which long story short, 24 hour audio book, what I got out of it, somebody just pulled it out of the behind, all right? So <laughs> that's what I got. So somebody just made it up, all right? So with that being said, because it was made up and now, as you know, the housing crisis starts to progress and affordable housing, people are starting to realize we don't really need these rules. So let's get rid of them. And what that does is opens it up for builders to, to be able to pay more for land so they can build, build more units. So most in the connectedness to parking, that is allowing them to buy more parking garages and lots because that's flat usable land that can be developed very quickly. So, um having a parking garage or owning a parking asset your your lot or assets going to go up in value because a lot of cities are doing away with those rules. And builders are able to pay more for housing doesn't does that make sense
0: yeah dude thank you and I, I love talking about the concepts of supply and demand and why that supports such an amazing asset like this so dude no great point and and thank you for saying me the 24 hours as well i, I appreciate that for the uh the clip notes version so yeah there you go. Uh, but but
1: yeah <laughs>
0: <dude>. <laughs> but yeah dude if you could walk through kind of just one of the deals again please share as much that you feel comfortable with, don't feel pressured to, but just no, to like no, give absolutely. us an idea of like numbers and stuff like that. I mean I'm really interested.
1: Absolutely. So I'll go off memory here because I don't have my notes in front of me. So one deal that I came across months ago was in um this was in Knoxville, Tennessee. It was around a uh, hospital complex. It was a uh approximately a 25 space lot. My uh, I don't remember exactly what it was generating. Uh it was generating about forty thousand dollars per year. I remember that for sure. Uh they were had a uh a net lease. Initially, they were on their second net lease. It was owned by a family. It's still owned by the family. Um, the mother, well, it was a mother and father, and the mother's 90 years old now. The father since passed away, and she gets um, revenue from the lot, so she lives off that 40000 per year they, um, that the uh, parking operator pays them, and, you know, that's what she lives off of, so they were interested in selling. I sent out a mail or someone answered me back, And the son, who's a business uh, manager, um, he answered back, said, you know, we've been thinking about selling, I'll talk to my mom, see what she wants to do, you know, and we'll go from there. Uh, So the number we came up with was, uh, once it was about 400,000, was what we came up with because it was during the pandemic, um, when things were at the height of the pandemic, so the lot wasn't doing 40,000 per year. They might've made maybe 25 or, it was about, it was somewhere in the high 20s is what they made for the year. So, you know, the mom wasn't really getting as much revenue, didn't, you know, again, they didn't necessarily need the money, but that's what they used for her to make things easy. So um, long story short, we, you know, we went and talked to the operators. We, and that's one thing I do, I get three quotes, at least three quotes from different operators in that city to see what type of agreements they could do. Um, So we got a favorable quote from an operator and they, uh, basically said, yeah, we can do this in a revenue management agreement or revenue share. But at the time, no one's really <clears throat> really willing to do net lease agreements because there's a lot of uncertainty with the pandemic. That's since kind of subsided and now folks are comfortable doing net leases again. But, um, yeah, so, again, 40000 per year, we wanted to buy it for 400000 And And um, we ended up not buying that lot because they still wanted to use the revenue for the mom. But, um, you know, I'll, I'll pause there if you have any questions on that particular deal.
0: Yeah, that that's interesting. So Knoxville, I mean, pretty, pretty nice secondary market there in Tennessee. So that that's pretty awesome as well, especially around a hospital, which even during COVID obviously is, is still in full and operation and stuff like that. So again, like hospitals are always going to have a demand for parking. People are, we're never going to shut down the hospital. So I already liked that this parking lot was co-located or adjacent to um, that. So how many, how many spaces was
1: this one? It was approximately 25 spaces. um, And, you know, it was crazy because it was connected to another lot that the actual parking operator, they owned that lot. So that's why they wanted the lot right next to it to add on to it. Um so they were a potential buyer. So I was kind of competing with them, but I was able to build a relationship with the family that I that I still have. Um I mean, that's comes in the key in um how I do business. Um so the son who I was speaking with, he's a woodworker. And you know, I got to talking to him and we we hit it off. And I actually brought a piece of a wood uh are working for my wife's birthday, he, he carved it out with her name in it and I have it hanging in my bedroom right now. So, um so we have that relationship and you know, at the end of the day we left it as say look Mike. My, my mom, you know, she's, she's still on still with us and as maybe when she passes on we definitely even the first person we call because we like we like you, you're honest and, you know, all that good stuff so. The relationship is there, and I check in with him periodically as well. And you know, even when I got the birthday present from my wife, this was about six months after I talked to him. So that's one of those things that you know, just keeping that keeping in contact with the seller and whatnot. I learned from wholesaling, but uh, yeah, that's I think that's important when you when you're dealing with these types of assets. There's never going to be like, hey, you call somebody up and hey, would you like to sell? Sure, you know, it's not really how it works, especially for larger assets. It's more of a a slower burn and. Um, I'm glad that I'm understanding it. And I had the wholesale experience to kind of help me through that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think whenever looking at like a seller base, that is primarily uh, mom and pop or baby boomer, however you want to refer to it, like building those real relationships is so important because I've seen it so many times. And I'm I'm sure you agree, Mike, where like they've gone with the lesser price point just because they like the buyer more because it's more of a personal relationship. You know, who's going to take care of this asset that I've you know, created from the ground up since like the 1970s, you know, like I, I have, you know, relationships with the tenants, I don't want it to go to some conglomerate out of New York City, or out of Dallas or Miami, like I want it to go to Mike Bell, who's going to take care of this asset and operate as my family created it. So I I love that idea, dude, I'm a huge believer. And that's awesome that you have that relationship. And there's no doubt that you know further down the line, there could be an opportunity to uh to close that deal, so that's that's really exciting. Um, could you kind of just brush over once again, kind of the breakdown of revenue when it comes to like the parking lot? And I don't know what this Knoxville deal it was, if it was so. I, tri- I assume this was a triple net lease to an operator that had some kind of split to it, or could you just walk through that?
1: Yeah, so initially it was a triple net lease, and um, a lot. Of, and what I noticed that over time that the 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 agreements and a lot of the operators they have built in back doors to be able to exit out of a a net lease in in the event that an act of God occurs. The pandemic was definitely qualified as an act of God. So they're able to, instead of being on the hook for that 40,000, they were able to um, transfer to a revenue management, like I said, and only have to pay 10% or only, you know, only get 10% and they get 90% of whatever revenue the lot brought in. So they're not on the hook for that $40,000, they are on the hook for if the lot only brings in $10,000, they only have to pay 9000 for the year. You see what I'm saying? So that's the backdoor they have built in. So this particular lot wasn't performing as well, but we knew that being around a hospital that it would kind of trend up. And it has gotten back to its, uh, not checked; it has gotten back to its original um, monthly recurring revenue to that year. So it, it's hitting the 40000 And, you know, buying a lot for, you know, the expenses there are not are minimal, uh, snow removal. Yeah, some some pay, repaving over time. That's the only things we're really looking at, and some some painting and restriping every every few years. But you know, wherever you buy a lot of that is going to you know your maintenance is going to be dictated by the climate. Whether you know you have if you're buying a lot in, in the northern city, you're going to have snow removal. You're going to have maybe some salt. You're going to have to worry about maybe repaving because the, the, the elements are going to beat that lot down. But somewhere maybe in in the mid not Midwest but maybe in the south. You might not have those type of issues. So it's gonna your expenses are gonna be even lower. But generally expenses for a parking lot aren't that aren't that high. Conversely on the parking garage, you know, it's gonna be different because you're dealing with a structure. Um a lot of garages are older now. They're built in the 60s, 70s. Uh, there's a the garage I'm looking at now is built in 1926. It, uh, it underwent a renovation in 2020 and um I'm still I still have some some reservations about that what we're 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 doing our research about it. But um yeah, it's just one of those things where you have to look at each situation, and every every lot is going to be different. Every revenue structure is going to be different. So there's no cookie cutter answer really for it. It's just each deal is going to be extremely different based on ownership structure, based on you know climate, based on you know all types of different factors like that. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I I just love and I've already like talked about it. I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but I love like the assets out there, dude, with the low overhead. And in my head, it's like, how can I break this investment down to its simplest form? You know, what has the lowest overhead? What's going to have the least amount of headaches and what's going to generate the most income? It's like those three like stupid, just little checks. but it's like parking lots hit all those
1: so what i what I noticed and not to cut you off, what I noticed about parking lots is um you know they're recession resistant, you know because is is generating on people traffic. and you you want to buy paid parking around areas that have generate people generators, such as you know central business districts um that have you know office workers going in, such as you know uh, stadium traffic, arena traffic, entertainment districts, you know they're, they're places that are going to draw people. Well, we didn't know, or initially that, or um, well, we found out that parking lots are not COVID resistant. You know, and that's the that's the problem, or that you ran into. Now, the the parking companies, they're nimble, they're swift, and they they embrace technology. So, um, a lot of the folks found different ways to to monetize and to monetize parking lots. You know, think about stores. Think about setting up clinics uh, in, in parking lots. You know, a lot of people made revenue, were uh, able to generate revenue for different things, uh, like COVID testing and whatnot. Um, think about uh, last mile distribution. Amazon may able to kind of stage or set up on a parking lot. Um, those different ways to monetize were able to get a lot of people through the pandemic because they they got smart. You know, um, so again, COVID, like parking lots, recession resistant. Not necessarily COVID resistant, but it was able to. If you, you were smart enough and able to look at different ways and what was going on, you could get companies in there to help you pay that, that, that pay that debt down or pay those mortgages or make some revenue.
0: Yeah, it's almost like as creative as you can get. Like there's no there's no limits and stuff, and I love that. Like whatever Amazon last mile, it's a it's a last spot staging launch area yeah. for Amazon and leasing to them just to cover your debt service. I mean, when it comes to just like open areas like that in great MSAs, there's always going to be a demand to do something, even in like a COVID type pandemic situation or, or recession area. So I, I, I think that's super interesting, Mike, and I love how creative like people can get in this industry. Um, I, I wanted to segue kind of as we get ready to like wrap up, but I, I really want to like touch on kind of also the truck storage and indoor outdoor storage piece. So I guess what, what are your overall thoughts on kind of this industry? You know, what's your experience in it so far? What have you learned? Um, because we're looking at a deal in Oklahoma City right now that has a huge RV and boat storage play in it, which is super exciting because it boomed during COVID. And this is something that I think a lot of people are overlooking right now. So I guess, how did you kind of stumble upon this and and what are your general thoughts, you know, on kind of the truck and outdoor storage uh, type industry right now?
1: Yeah, you know, it's crazy. Um, I stumbled across truck parking um, by accident because I was researching uh, regular parking, right? And uh, I was like, and I get I set up Google alerts in order to um to get to find stories and I get them to my email every um every morning. So I saw, saw you know anything parking, anything garage related, but I saw truck parking, I kind of let me go down this rabbit hole and I did. And apparently there's a huge shortage of truck parking in the United States. Um Essentially, you know, you have about three and a half million truckers or seven million people employed employed by the uh, trucking industry, three and a half million of those are truckers. 1.6 million of those are actually heavy duty long haul truckers you see moving across the country. Um, there's only about approximately 600,000 parking spaces in the United States that are legal parking spaces for truckers. And I thought about it. And as I started to really do more research in it, because I was intrigued, I'm, I'm just a student of everything, right? Um, I started to realize there is a huge, uh, there's a huge, you know, gap there for for parking for the for truck park truckers. Um, if you notice, when you're ever on a road trip and you're driving at night, you'll see trucks parked on the side, side of a on the ramp, side of a road. That's because they don't have parking. And I know what you're thinking, like, why don't they just park at truck stops? That's not a truck stop business model. Truck stop business model is more so to get the trucker in, get them gassed up, showered, fed, and get them out because there's only going to be so much money you can make off the trucker in one turn, and one stop. So they have to get them in and out. So they're not, truck stops are not designed long term to keep truckers. So where do they park? They can't park at their destination because most companies don't want to take the liability. Plus, they don't have the space to house truckers. They're just there to drop. They just need you to drop your load off and go about your business. So, there's not a, a big market for short term, medium term, or long term parking out there for truckers. Um, most of the uh, the assets that you see um, are mom and pop down, fragmented marketplace, which is what I like to see. Um, not a lot of institutional players. And you can, just like self, it's very similar to self storage, where you can buy something for fairly cheap. And increase the value of that asset by maybe putting fencing around, some security cameras, maybe paving if you have to. But in a lot of cases, you don't have to pave a lot, and you're able to charge rents of you know I've seen as low as a hundred dollars. I've seen as high as, especially here in California, five hundred plus for just to park your truck for a month, or sometimes twenty-five to thirty-five dollars a day just to park your truck. And there's a huge market there for that, as well as heavy equipment storage. Porta potties uh, you name it, just any industrial type of parking or asset parts, um, assets that you can think of, they all need a place to store this stuff. And I've done test ads on Facebook and Craigslist, and I've gotten many, many calls from people looking to park and their vehicles. So I'm like, there's a huge market here that needs to be tapped, and I, I intend to tap it. So I've been talking to as many people as I can in the space who's willing to talk to me and who's willing to do business with me and to make it happen.
0: Yeah, dude, this is so exciting. And like like you said, the the demand right now for, for uh industrial parking is crazy. And and this deal in OKC directly adjacent to it, and it's zoned industrial too. Is a gravel, just you know, two acre by two acre spot where there's literally eighteen wheelers parked, and and I, it's like the bells are like going off in my head right now. Just so I heard this right, I'm like I'm literally gonna go back and listen to this episode like five times. Did you say there are six hundred thousand parking spots for three point five million? um total trucks is that accurate
1: or did i mishear that that's from that's, that's a uh so i pull my stats so I always get my information from reliable sources so american trucking association has a lot of information on it uh the oida which is the Only operator independent driver association they're like the lobbyists for truckers they had they, they they're listed as truck parking or lack of truck parking is one of their top three issues that they have in addition to um and high insurance costs and also uh, electronic, uh, tr- federal electronic tr- uh, logging or tracking of their of their hours of service. So those top three issues are what truckers are really, uh, really angry about. and the, But especially truck parking. There's even a law called Jason's Law. There was a gentleman, I forgot his last name, but he was murdered um, because yeah, they, they, he couldn't find a safe place to park. He parked in a bad neighborhood and ended up getting shot and killed. Um, and, and they named the law after him because this is a prevalent issue for truckers, having safe places to park, um, as well as, you know, you protect their loads also when they're not in service. And I mentioned the electronic service laws. They're federally, truckers are now federally uh, regulated, where they cannot drive for, you know, extended periods of time without having to stop in between uh, like the eight hour mark or the 12 hour mark. So they have to stop. They have to park. So if you buy a uh, a lot in a strategically located place around the interstate, uh, close to maybe a you know, you know close to maybe a, a well-populated MSA like a Dallas or Atlanta, where you know you can pick up some of that transient traffic, but also have that monthly traffic keep sustain you as well, because you're in a highly populated area. Then you're gonna have a, a good high cash flowing asset there. So that's why I like truck parking a lot.
0: Dude, this is so cool. <laughs> I, I can't get over this. Like this is this is interesting and, and just so intriguing. I'm so glad you came on to talk it today because I know nobody out there is thinking about this, but there is so when I look at an asset again, you know, low overhead, massive demand, low supply. Mike, this is a no brainer, dude. This is literally a no brainer. And, and this is so exciting that you're you're tapping this right now. Um, as, as we get ready to wrap up, brother, I love talking mindset on here. And I think your story is super intriguing. Because again, you're, you're doing all this while you're, you know, W2, married, multiple kids, I guess, what is the mindset piece that goes into this every day, like, you know, balancing that work life, um, you know, scenario?
1: Yeah, no, definitely. Man, I appreciate that. Like, so starting out, it was it was hard because you know I was like, man, I'm kind of beating my head against the wall. But now it's kind of like easier for me because you know I any given day I have a, a, a multimillionaire, uh, you know calling me. We're talking, you know, t- they're calling me about deals or you know I'm I'm I'm, in, I'm getting in the conversation of rooms with people I, I falling since probably a year ago I would never be in you know and now I'm having those regular conversations with folks that you know. That that does it feeds it feeds me, and motivates me on top of that because they're asking me, hey, what about these deals, Mike? Hey, can you go find us and stuff? Because they know if they give me opportunity, I'm gonna go and, and I'm gonna run with it. So every day, you know, just being prepared because I have a lot of things, a lot of different things that pull at me. I have my, you know, I, I make every Sunday I make a list of what I need to do, right? So today is Sunday. I'm gonna be making my list weekly, religiously, because I got too much going on. I have work, you know, I write right now in my notebook work. What I have going on? Where my jackets? Family, what I need to get done to keep myself a hot order with my wife, all right? And real estate investing, who do I need to call to, like really that's gonna propel me to the next level this week? What do I need to do? And then also have what I need to do for veterans and parking, which is the nonprofit I'm a part of. And those are my four categories. And every Sunday I work on those. And, and you know, I'm not able to get everything done because no one gets everything done, but if I can hit two or three of my main points each week on all four of those categories, now I'm, I'm making money, you know, that's that's good for me. So in the mindset piece, you know, just having a plan, you know, I look at, um, I'm have a I'm big on the vivid vision, right? So I, have a, I, I went out and made a 10 year plan that hangs in my bedroom. It's three pages in the form of a news story that hangs in my bedroom. But then also I have my three year plan right here, you know, and it's, you know, for me and my family and um, kind of what I wanted my life to look like in three years. And I did this one special because that's the day I retired from the military and my 20 year mark. And what I want my business to look like. What I want, you know, I even have the employees, number of employees that are gonna be working for me and who what their positions are gonna be. I have what, you know, kind of what me and my wife are doing. I have the book that I'm planning on writing and, you know, about alternative real estate investments. But I have those things on there because I can see them every day and it's connects the dots. So when I'm working on deals or when people are calling me with opportunities, um It it just ties everything again. So I just feed off the energy that I get from people. I feed off the energy that I create for myself. And um, it just keeps me going, man. Uh, We're making it happen, baby.
0: Yeah, dude. It's motivating. And it's like, you know, I think everybody's banging their head against the wall in the beginning. or, Or, you know, the first six months, the first 12 months, you know, sometimes the first couple of years. I mean, we've had people on here who are doing incredibly well. And it's like, they've, they've been open about it. They've been like, Jesse, it took me three years to close my first deal, dude. Even though now I've got like, you know, a hundred million dollars in assets under management, like it took me three years. So, you know, I would encourage anyone out there to treat this as a marathon, not as a sprint, but there's so much incredible, powerful wealth building out there that can come from real estate and, and all the incredible things you've mentioned today. So yeah, and Mike. So, sorry, go ahead, brother. Cool.
1: No, no, I just wanted to make sure. And I'm glad you said that because I know there's a lot of folks out there like, man, I just don't know where to start. I'm just like, hey, you know, I'm I'm in the middle of my journey right now. But something that I want folks to realize is, you know, even with like the truck parking thing, making it worth people's while, making it mutually beneficial. Like I, I, I came to contact with the CEO of an outdoor storage company and I'm like, hey, look, I need help finding these these, these truck parks. They're not easy to find. So hey, if I give you the leads that I have. Would you at least call them for me, and um, I can make it worth your while. Wow. On top of that, I remember that I talked to somebody in Atlanta a year before. After hearing about this guy's business, I talked to this guy in Atlanta a year before, and it was an airport parking company. And they were struggling during the pandemic, so I was like, "Hey, look, I know, I know you guys. You say you do airport parking. Let me put you in contact with this guy in Atlanta who owns, you know, who owns an airport parking business, and I'll put you guys together. As a show of good faith, and I did that." And now they're doing business together, you know? So, and then the guy's like, well, Mike, what do you want from me? You know, you know, I, you know, I appreciate this. You put me in contact with the guy. I'm like, I don't want anything. I want you to work the leads for me, bring me the opportunities. And I remember you said, you know, you guys, you already did your your, your initial funding round and you're, and you're gonna be looking for a series A funding round. Let me be an investor in the business. And I'll go and find other people who are willing to invest in your business as well. Because, I, you know, I'm, I'm looking at it from a whole concept, multi-dimensional, trying to help folks out, but also, trying to build my business. So I want you to be someone that people want to do business with and then they're always going to bring you bring you opportunities. So right now I don't have a deal per se but I got opportunities popping up left and right because of things and seasons I planted and because I take care of people. And I think if you take that approach, you can't go wrong. You really can't.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree. And it's like, what can I do to add value to people right. that are going to make, you know, create a situation. I think a lot of people go into when they're sculpting these deals or putting these deals together, it's like, how can I win? But it's like, no, like let's create situations where the seller wins, the buyer wins, the broker wins, the lender wins. Like every, if you can create situations, if you can script deals where everybody wins, everyone's going to want to do more deals in the future and it's just going to compound on itself when it comes to success and doing more deals, dude. And that's literally exactly what you're doing right now. You're like, Hey man, I don't want anything in return. You know, I'm glad you guys are doing business. Just, you know, throw some leads my way every time you get them. And it's like, dude, y'all are going to be working together for years. Like there's no or decades. You know what I mean? There's zero doubt in my mind. Um, So dude, that's awesome. I love to hear that. And and you're just a great dude and, and added value to so many people out there. So I appreciate you. Mike, we we're running out of time. I I gotta wrap yeah, up yeah, yeah. here. Um, I, I hit this question with everybody. I'm really intrigued in and in your response is gonna be. So we we asked this to everybody at the end. Michael Bell's living the perfect life, brother. What's it look like and why?
1: Man, I'm gonna tell you right now, I'm living the perfect life right now. Let's um, go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm living, man. My my life is so crazy right now. Um my family's happy, healthy, my, my wife's happy, she's healthy, you know. Um, work is great. Uh, you know. I, I, like I said, I can't I can't fathom even a year ago to now, you know, I have people calling me and, you know, I'm on I'm, I'm sitting there on the call last week talking about this garage we're working on, you know, this deal came across my desk because of relationships I've built. I put my my mentor in the room with a CEO of a major parking company. And then, you know, they came back and was like, hey, Mike, we got this deal. You know, this is six months later. We got this deal. So we guys, you know, we want you guys to take a swing at it. I got a capital source. I got a mentor who, you know, who they have a fund and they have the money to buy it. So and we're, we're going through the deals and I'm sitting on this call with a COO, with, a, with, with with my mentor who, you know, has many, many properties. And I'm like, this is this is money right here, man. This is what I'm supposed to be and field. feels good. So, you know, I'm healthy. I'm happy. I'm in shape. My wife is healthy. Now, my kids are good. And I'm over here. I'm swinging at deals. Dude, I'm living it right now, man. This is great, man. I just I can't make it up, man. This is good stuff.
0: Mike, it's, it's awesome, man. We love having just authentically genuine, great people on here. And that's like exactly who you are, bro. So I'm pumped, dude. Today was awesome. It was a lot of fun. We got to talk about something really unique. For the people who were inspired by the story today, who were intrigued and want to learn more about parking. I mean, Mike, what are the best platforms to reach you on? How can people reach out to you? Maybe there's a parking operator listening right now who who wants to do the next deal with you, bro. What's the best way to get a hold of you?
1: Yeah, so um, you, you, professionally, LinkedIn, you know, hey, I'm always, you can find me on LinkedIn anytime, but um, also I'm also on Instagram at its Mike Bell, you know, I'm, I'm at its underscore Mike underscore Bell. But um, look, I'm open book, man. You know, um, you guys see, I'm a family man and I'm, I'm all about taking care of folks and being honest and open and it's helping people, man. So if you if you want to do business with an honest person and it was someone who's really, really trying to take, you know, take things to the next level, I'm your I'm guy, man.
0: Yeah, Mike. Thank you, brother. Thank you again for coming on today. I know we're, we're we are uh, recording this on a Sunday morning, and it, you know it's family time right now. So I appreciate you taking the time to come on. And I had a blast, dude. I think this is going to add so much incredible value to, to people out there. And and just your story, man, of where you've come from and where you're going to. There, there's no doubt in my mind that you know 2022 is going to be a big year for Mike Bell, brother. So I appreciate you coming on and and adding all this incredible value to the audience here on Wealth Science
1: see, I appreciate it. I love what you're doing. I always remember something you said that always sticks with me. Just remember, before you pick up the phone and talk to anybody, remember, I am the prize, right? You said That's that. right, You're stuck with me, man. You're the prize, man. I appreciate everything you're doing, brother.
0: Yeah, no problem, dude. We are we are the uh, gatekeepers of the ones offering an opportunity here in the uh, wealth building space of real estate. I am the prize. So I appreciate that, Mike. Thanks again, brother. Thanks for coming on Wealth Science. And like I said, 2022 is going to be huge for you, brother. No doubt in my mind.
1: Likewise, man. I appreciate you, brother.
0: Hey, thanks again for listening
1: to the Wealth
0: Science Podcast. Take some time to subscribe and leave us a review. It really is the basis that helps us continue to bring on amazing guests each week. We have another incredible story to share next week, and I'm certain it's going to add value to this community. Please do not hesitate to reach out if there's anything I can do to help you in your journey of attaining financial freedom. Thank you again for listening,
1: and we will see you next week.